0: Hey everyone, this week we're giving away a six-month subscription to leadquizzes.com valued at $300. Leadquizzes helps you create interactive lead generation quizzes to help you grow your email list. This is the same software I use to generate over 20,000 leads for my business in 2017. For a chance to win, subscribe to the podcast, then take a snapshot or picture showing you're subscribed and text it to 716-218-8981 or email it to growthexperts at yahoo.com. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome, everybody, and today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Alan Gannett, and he's the founder and CEO of Track Maven. He's a frequent writer on creativity, leadership, and marketing for major publications like Fast Company, The Washington Post, and many, many others. And he's the author of a new book that's about to release or it may have already released based on when we air this podcast called The Creative Curve. Welcome to the show, Alan.
1: Thanks for having me, man.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. We connected on LinkedIn as so many of my guests have been my kind of my first point of connection. And I've been following you for a while and I'm super excited to have you on the show. So, you know, before we dive into kind of the nitty gritty and talk about the book and some other stuff, do me a huge favor and tell me a little bit about what you got going on over there at Track Maven.
1: Yeah. So my um, so first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, you know, longtime listener, first time caller, as they say. And um, I, uh, you know, I started Track Maven. God, what is it now? About five and a half years ago. And the company came out of this sort of my frustration as a marketer, where I was being tasked all of a sudden with not just running campaigns and creating, you know, great narratives and brand. But all of a sudden also with becoming like this quasi data scientist who was tasked with doing all these data projects because all of a sudden marketing was becoming so data driven. And so the whole idea for TrackMaven was, could you become that one stop shop for marketers who are being tasked with all of a sudden using data to make decisions? So we started with our own big data platform where we suck in data from about 25 different sources of social content, paid advertising data, web data, put it all in one place. And you can build reports and do all sorts of cool analysis. But then we also have expert team, which people hire to actually do insights for them. So we've worked with some crazy brands like the NBA, GE, Marriott, all sorts of fun folks. And uh, and yes, yeah, so we're based in Washington D.C. It's about a sixty-person company, and you know we're having a lot of fun.
0: So you developed it like a lot of entrepreneurs. You kind of scratched your own itch, right? So you had totally. that, you had that challenge, that problem that you just kept running into. And so you figured out a way to solve it yourself because it wasn't out there the way you wanted it. Great.
1: You got it. Frustrated marketer.
0: Frustrated Classic. marketer. Yes, exactly. Very cool. So how big is the company? I mean, whether it be employees or revenue or growth, however you want to share it. Can you tell us a little bit about how big Track Maven is?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm not, I'm not, I'm an open book kind of guy. It's about a 60 person company. It's about an $8 million revenue business. Great. So that was 17 revenue, $8 million? It's recurring revenue. So that's today's recurring revenue. Oh, that's your
0: MMR. Gotcha. Okay.
1: Monthly or MRR, I should oh, say. I wish it was monthly recurring revenue. Yeah. It was, you know, it's ARR. <laughs> monthly, <laughs> that's it's based on- MRR, I yes. believe, We probably wouldn't be talking. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, you'd going be doing a hundred million.
0: You'd be doing a hundred million. Well, I'm sure that's going to happen in the future because it sounds to me like you're, you're solving a, an important problem. So let's talk a little bit about- I think what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of start with the book, because this is a really interesting topic to me, the creative curve. And the reason why I I think it's so interesting and I'm eager to read the book is because, Alan, I'm going to be dead honest with you. I'm probably one of the least (laughs) creative people you've ever met, but I've found a way over the years to, you know, to manage and to market successfully. But I would love to hear A little bit about the framework of this book. And if you could give my listeners maybe an inside view before it even gets released, that would be awesome. I'd love to hear a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, of course. So the book comes out June 12th. And the whole idea for the book was, you know, I was working with all these big marketers and they'd say something like what you just said, which is like, oh, you know, I'm not that creative. I'm not that person. And I'd sort of go like, what do you mean you're not that person? Creativity isn't this sort of fixed thing. Like you can become more creative. And over and over again, I heard the story about, well, you know, I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of these people who of just born with this, you know, divine talent. I'm not Mozart. I'm not Beethoven. I'm not one of these. And the thing is that, you know, I'd always been a big reader. I've read lots of autobiographies. And when you actually read the stories of these creative greats, it's not the story of like, they woke up and they were amazingly talented. Like, in fact, it's not even the story of just, oh, they worked hard. No, it's a story of they worked smart for a long period of time. And so I started talking to marketers about this concept that a lot of the stories around creativity you hear aren't really the truth. That's not actually what creativity looks like. And that eventually snowballed into a keynote, which snowballed into a book, which snowballed into a book more broadly for all creatives, not just for marketers. And so for the book, what I aim to do is disprove this myth. That creativity is something that you know is this sort of divine, you know, divine, magical thing that's given to a select few. So disprove that and explain. Okay, if it is actually something you can get better at, how the heck do you get better at it? So to do that, I interviewed about twenty-five living creative geniuses. So these are like billionaires like David Rubenstein, you know, startup founders like Alexis Ohanian from Reddit and Kevin Ryan who did Gilt, MongoDB, Business Insider. These are people who've won Tony Awards, Emmy Awards, Oscar winners, you know, platinum-selling art musicians, all these different people. And I also interviewed all the academics who focus on creativity, all the big ones today, read lots and lots of peer-reviewed re- research. And what I found is there's actually like a really good consensus among academics that creativity is a fluid skill that you can develop. And so the book is split up into two halves. In the first half, I explain why this mythology around creativity is wrong and why it's actually the science shows us over and over again, it is a skill you can get better at, like including you. And then the second half is explaining what were the patterns from these interviews I did? What were the things that these people who've reached the pinnacle of success, what are the things they did to achieve that? And so I explained four things I found that they all did. And they're things that you could actually do. They're actionable. And I explain the science behind why they work. So it's meant to be a very actionable, sort of, um, you know, psychology marketing book. Oh, that's perfect. I'm in because, like I said, I dub
0: myself totally not creative. And so, you know, I think this is a, <laughs> I think that there's a lot of people like me out there and probably the reason why you wrote the book. So I'm excited. So can you tie it back? I know there was, you know, can you kind of riff a little bit more, expand a little bit more on the yeah. marketing component? Cause I really want to hone in on that. We have a lot of sales and right. marketing and growth
1: people on here. Can you, can you talk a little bit yeah. more about the marketing side of it? One of the things I found that was so interesting when you try to debunk the myth around creativity and sort of take some of the magic away from it. One of the questions is faced, well, why do some ideas work? And that's such an important question for anyone tasked with marketing or selling a product, right? Why do some ideas work? And it turns out there's actually all this amazing research. And what the research shows is that as people, we have these two contradictory urges. So one of the urges is we crave the familiar. We like things that we're comfortable with, that we've seen before. This is why maybe you you love going home. Maybe when you visit your grandmother's house, it feels somewhat comfortable and safe. You may not like how she decorated, but does feel comfortable. Now, that's interesting because psychologists have also found there's another contradictory urge. The contradictory urge is that we also seek out novelty. So we also seek out novelty because we want that potential reward, right? We used to be these hunter-gatherers. We we're constantly looking for new food sources, energy sources. So we're constantly looking for, okay, what's that next way that I'm going to eat? And so the thing is that these two things, both you know, the craving of familiarity and novelty-seeking, they literally are a contradiction. But what's cool is that this is actually this really artful mechanism our brain has developed. Basically what this means is that our brain is constantly balancing is something too new or too familiar, right? Things have to be in that right balance. If you see a random berry in a field, if it looks like a berry you've never seen before, you're like, I should probably shouldn't eat this. But if it looks kind of like a, maybe a mini strawberry, you're like, okay, this is probably safe. And so our brain has developed this really elegant way of balancing these two competing needs for safety and for reward. And it turns out that this actually carries over to creativity, where what they found is that the ideas that work the best have the right balance of familiarity and novelty. They're not too familiar, but they're also not too new. So think about, you know, Star Wars, the first Star Wars, it was a Western in space. That was the movie. Exactly. (laughs) like- And so like, it felt comfortable to people. It wasn't this crazy space fairy tale. It was like, oh, it's literally good guys, bad guys. They're chasing each other. There's a love interest. Like, That's what it was. George Lucas even said that. And so it turns out that that's actually a biological phenomenon. And that is one of the things I think is so powerful for marketers is you have to create ideas that are in that sweet spot, in that balance of familiar and novel. Very cool. So, who? So yourself as an entrepreneur. You've been an entrepreneur for many years.
0: You've built an eight million dollar company. You know, you've probably done all kinds of different campaigns and strategies. How do you, with your current business, how do you apply some of what you learned in the research and putting
1: this book together to helping grow your business? That would be really interesting. To yeah. Me. Well, one of the things I found is around the messaging is one of the things I think is most common that marketers do is we see that there's a crowded market. We want to get into it. you know, We dive in. And one of the things we found, you know, I found in my research, but I also found just in our own execution was that when you add in that level of novelty where you're doing something different than everybody else, it can't be too different. But that twist of novelty is really what drives so much of the engagement, so much of the results. So you know, for example, we've always been a very brand focused company. We have this adorable dog logo. We use a lot of bright colors. You know, when we go to events and trade shows, we always do sort of goofy activations. So like, you know, one time, for example, we always talk about how marketers throw spaghetti against the wall when they're, you know, not using data, right? We've got a giant target. We put plexiglass in front of it and we got giant vats of spaghetti and had people throw it against this target. And like, We do these things that are like a little bit quirky, a little bit different, a little bit more human. But at the same time, we still have like traditional product marketing and very, very direct messaging about features and functionality and what we do. And people really resonate with that human, that playful element because other people aren't doing it. And so for other people, they just they don't even stick out. Right. And so that's, I think, a great example where as a marketer, you have to do something that's at least a little bit new. It can't be so new that it's crazy. But it also can't be the same thing. Like, you know, oftentimes we talk about the best practices as like, okay, this is the thing you need to do. But the best practices need to be your starting off point. You know, the way I like to put it is that like, you know, a great chef can't build a, you know, better omelet if they don't know how to make a normal omelet. But you still should make it better because you don't want to be boring. Right. Exactly. Differentiation is key. But it's
0: it's not easy, right? Because again, like you said, it takes those creative juices. And I look forward to reading the book to try to learn a little bit more about how I can bring my creativity out, whether it's hidden or otherwise. So let's do a little bit more micro into track, Maven. So you've had the business for about six years. And so what I'd like to ask is kind of a two-part question. And this would be really interesting for my audience. When you first started, what strategy did you use to start getting those first few customers, that first traction? Because you know you got to breathe air into that body, which is your, your new business in order for it to survive. And those early customers are just the oxygen we all need. So talk to us a little bit about how you did that. And then the next one I'll tee it up for you is going to be, what are the best strategies or what are the most effective strategies you're using now to get new clients for
1: TrackMaven? Sure. Great question. So early on, uh, it was obviously very different than it is today. So early on it was all referrals and word of mouth. I mean, early on when you're dealing with small numbers, like the most effective thing you can do is like those friends, friends of friends, you know, friends of acquaintances, like getting those warm introductions is going to be because those are a going to be the people who are early adopters. Like if you're an entrepreneur, your friends, your friends of friends are probably the ones who are more interested in new technology. They're willing to engage with that stuff. And so I think probably for the first six months, you know, probably 60, 70% of our business was primarily through word of mouth and referrals. Now, the issue is that, you know, your sort of personal network doesn't really scale as your company scales, hopefully. And so as your company scales, obviously, you need more scalable channels. And so now what we do is we, we do a lot of inbound marketing. So we create content, you know, obviously as a data company, we have a very valuable asset. We have data. So we're able to create benchmarks, you know, proprietary data sets that people want access to. And so we can use those as a way to bring people in and then also to nurture them along the way. And the other thing we do is we have a sales development team. And the big thing that we do that's different is you know, most sales development teams, which you can sort of think about if you don't know the term, it's like a cold calling sort of role. Most sales development teams are like sending you emails, sending more emails that say like just following up and like all this kind of cheesy stuff. And uh, maybe they send some GIFs. like That's how they get your attention. What we've found that really works well in scales is we just provide real value. And I don't mean that in some esoteric way. I mean, I literally mean like we'll, if we're you know, prospecting someone, we'll create an entire report for them. We'll spend our own time doing it, our own money. There's no expectation of our, even a return phone call. And we'll send it back to them. And what we found is that doing that makes the whole thing so much better. Because now we're not just intruding on your day. We're not interruptive marketing. We're not interruptive selling. We're actually saying like, hey, here's something valuable that, by the way, you know, we made with our software. Here's something really valuable that we think you'll find useful. And we get these like crazy, amazing reactions like, oh, my God, I just forwarded this to our board of directors, like these things where people really love it. And from the beginning, that establishes a relationship as a relationship of trust and a relationship of value, not something where we're just wasting their time. Yeah. And it's very personalized,
0: right? I mean, this is totally, it's literally their company. Exactly. I mean, you're, you can't tee it up any better for them to have an internal discussion with their team to say, Hey, listen, do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you like what this says? Do you not? Because that's going to be a big decision on whether you have the next conversation, right? So yeah, exactly. I think that's perfect. That's awesome. So Can you talk a little bit, you know, you see, you do a lot of inbound, right? You get a lot of inbound leads. What have you found to be the most effective channel? And maybe you can even dive into maybe a campaign or one tactic that you've used in that channel that, you know, there's always that 80-20 rule, right? You know, we wish every piece of content, we wish every strategy made it rain, but some do more than others. Can you talk a little bit about that and where you guys are at on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, the one right now that's really sort of sticking out like a sore thumb in a good way is just LinkedIn video. So I've been doing LinkedIn video for about eight months and the videos have been, you know, they get like somewhere the average one probably gets 25 to 50,000 views. And it's all organic. There's no paid promotion behind it. That has probably been the thing that most recently has really stuck out because, you know, it's sort of, again, it's value-driven content. They're all little, little quick interviews or things that are informative you know, they establish us as a thought leader and someone who's credible. So that's really, that's really valuable. And it also works as a, as a sort of a magnet, right? Like customers want to be on the show. They want to like, I call a show, it's 90 seconds. And so it acts as a as sort of a convening tool too. And so that's been the one that recently, I mean, the interviews are literally 90 seconds and they're not produced. Yeah, right? I've, I've so seen them. An, no, I've seen them. That they're, from an 80, 20 year old perspective, that is the one that sort of stands out as like really, really a good ROI on time
0: yeah so everybody listening to this right now, if you're on LinkedIn, stop making excuses. You don't need a big budget. you don't need special software. you don't need to be this you know super polished you know highly produced piece of content no. you know you can actually be a little bit more gorilla. you can put together a very short but very targeted piece of content that's interesting to your to your target market and put it out there on LinkedIn. Don't be afraid. The platform is going crazy. I mean, you know, Alan, I'm a big LinkedIn guy. It's been a big part of how I've been able to grow my businesses over the years. And so I'm so happy that you said that because I think it's so underutilized. And right now the odds are stacked in your favor because LinkedIn is is really favoring video because they are lacking that type of quality content, unlike Facebook and and YouTube and some of the other channels.
1: And the LinkedIn algorithm has a bit of a like a thumb on the scale where if your content does well, it really pushes it. So it does work well early on. And so now is a great time to to do LinkedIn. I just mean, you know, there's over half a billion people active on LinkedIn. There's more and more content creators by the day, but still a supply from a supply and demand perspective, there's still tons of opportunities. So I think if you're not doing LinkedIn, you need to do it seriously right now. And like you said, like the production quality, all this stuff doesn't matter, right? What matters is, are you able to deliver the value, the promise of what your video, what your article, whatever it is says? So, you know, for me, what that means is I shoot it on my iPhone, I have a $3 app that stabilizes it a little bit, and I found someone on Fiverr who captions them. That's the whole process. You know what I mean? This is not, there's no lights, there's no fancy camera, there's no, and I just interview people as I sort of stumble across them during my day. That's basically what what happens. Yeah, perfect. And so like, and so yeah, and so that is like, it's one of those things where like, it's not about doing things from a technical perspective that are perfect. It's about nailing the concept and the value and the idea. And then if you have that perfect and you have that right, a lot of the execution details don't matter or they matter very little.
0: Yeah. And for those of you that have been listening, tuning in to Growth Experts for a while or or you're brand new to the show, episode 16, I interviewed uh, String Story, String Newen, and she's been doing LinkedIn video much like Alan and has been seeing similar results for her business and she dives into a little bit more granular about kind of how to do and use LinkedIn video to grow your brand and to you know generate leads. So you can check out episode 16 for that. So thank you for expanding on that. So quick question and again we're still a little micro on TrackMaven. What do you think has been the biggest challenge? I mean you've you've had a lot of challenges and a lot of ups and downs on the during your road here
1: with TrackMaven. What's been one of the biggest challenges so far? Oh, I mean, I think you know. For me, I started the company very young, so I think just like growing up as the company grows up is just like difficult, right? I think you know, I look back when I started the company you know, almost six years ago. It was just you know, I was a very different person. I was a lot you know, a lot less mature. I was a lot less self-aware. I and so I think just like being forced to grow up because the company was growing really quickly is like it was really challenging. And I think you know, I was lucky to have some really great people around me. I've always sort have been someone who, you know, believes that if you put great people around you, like they'll help and they'll help get you to where you need to go. And so early on, I just really focused on you know, having great advisors and you know friends and peers and people who I could turn to. And I think that's been, I mean, I can't, I can't overstate how critical that is. It's one of those things that I think sounds cheesy. Like it sounds like sort of like a thing you'd read on some like mediocre entrepreneur website, but like, it's actually one of the things that in practice is so hard to do if you're not thoughtful about it because it's so easy to you know, not build true relationships in business. It's so easy to be transactional. It's so easy to only call people when you need them. And I think I'm super grateful for all the time I spent on building real friendships and relationships, sort of in my industry and with people who are more experienced than me. And, you know, it benefits me every day because not only does it give me practical business advice, but it gives me the sort of personal and emotional skills to deal with being a CEO, which is which is a sort of a wildly different task than I think people sort of think it is. Yeah. You have to be
0: very intentional about those relationships and investing in them, not in just the short term. Like you said, it's not all, it's not about transactional, right? So, totally. so I probably wouldn't ask this question of everybody, but I feel as though just in our early conversations and, and what you described in the book that you're obviously a very sh- super sharp guy. So here's the question. What's one prediction that you have about marketing, because I know you're very tied into that. What's one prediction you have about marketing in the next several years? And then let's call it the next two, three,
1: four years, because obviously things move so quickly. What are you seeing and what would be your prediction? I mean, the thing that we're starting to see in my predictions, we're going to just double down into is we're starting to see a massive reorganization of how marketing runs, because it used to be organized by channel and because the skills were different. But that now is becoming a mess because, you know, you get a piece of, you get a review on, you know, some earned media and then you post about it on Facebook then you run paid dollars to that. And so is that earned? Is that paid? Is that owned? What channel is that? Is that social? Is that digital marketing? Is that comms? Like, it's just doesn't make any sense. You're talking about attribution, kind of attribution of it and where it comes from. I I, I mean, just more. No, I just mean more like who's responsible for it. Gotcha. how do you structure your organization when all these channels are converging to, to one another? And mm-hmm. so the world we see developing is where, and you are starting to see this with some early, some leading brands, is organizing their marketing functions around either the personas or around funnel stage and having them be cross-functional within that. So rather than have like a social person, a paid person, and blah, 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 you'd have four or five people who represent the top of the funnel team. And maybe they have some different skills. Some of them are generalists. And their gold, not just on a channel, but on that specific funnel stage, or if you do it by persona, on that persona's performance. And so that's a trend we're starting to see and I think is going to become huge. Because otherwise, the current way that people are running marketing makes zero sense for where we are in 2018 and will make even less sense in 2020. Interesting.
0: So what's your favorite growth tool or software
1: outside of TrackMaven, of course? Uh, my favorite growth tool or software. Let's see. I mean, we do, you know, we do a lot of retargeting advertising and we find that works really well. So we use AdRoll quite a bit and we Ad- find that it works really well for what we need to do. AdRoll. Okay, cool. So besides your book that's about to come out, which is The
0: Creative Curve, what book have you read recently that you think would be
1: valuable to my audience? Ooh, uh, Conspiracy by Ryan Holiday was really good. It's about the Peter Thiel, Hulk Hogan gawker drama, and he interviewed all the people involved. And so it's a very like insidery behind the scenes look. It's really good. Awesome. I'm going to grab that for sure.
0: Listen, that's going to pretty much wrap it up for today, Alan. Do me a favor and let everybody know
1: how they can connect with you and make sure that they know where to get your book. So check out my website. It's Alan, A-L-L-E-N, dot X Y Z. And you can read my blog, sign up for my newsletter, social links, all that good stuff. And then the book comes out June 12th, everywhere books are sold. And you can check out the book website at thecreativecurve.com. There's a book trailer, there's some early reviews, all sorts of good stuff. I and mean, thanks for having me, man. This was yeah. fun. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show.
0: I know we're going to stumble across each other on LinkedIn from time to time, but <laughs> I have a feeling we'll be talking a little bit more than that. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Bye. Thanks.